All right, you got that straight? You got that figured out? All right, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to find them and turn to the book of Colossians. Uh, if you're online, you're at True Worth in the sanctuary, give you time to do that as well. If you're here in the ark and you would like a Bible, just raise your hand so we'll bring one to you. Uh, it is not our way of tricking you if you're new to call you out. We don't want to do that at all. It's just a way of putting the scriptures in your hand. If you are new, whether you're watching online, you're down at True Worth, joining us for the first time, slip into the sanctuary. Uh, again, thank you for allowing us to be a part of your lives this morning. Uh, we hope you experience God's presence in some way or another. If you're here on campus, I would love to meet you afterwards. I'll be out by the Welcome Center. If you're watching online or you're down there at True Worth, hey, drop me a little note in the mail. I'd love to know what's going on in your life and kind of lift you up in prayer as well. Uh, if, you, if you are new here, we are in the middle of a message series, really the end of it. I would say middle of the summer, end of message series on Colossians. Uh, we had just found during the summertime uh, it's good to pick a book of the Bible and just kind of march through it. And so this morning, we're in week nine. And if you're just kind of joining us, you can go back online, you can download podcasts, and you can catch up with us if you so desire. But this morning, we're kind of getting to the almost end, and next weekend, we're finishing and wrapping this sucker up. Then we'll have about three weeks of a mini-series, then we're getting into the fall. So I, I want to begin with prayer before we, we get into this, because we have found here it's very meaningful and very effective that when you get ready to hear God's Word and you're preparing to hear a message that you put yourself in the right mindset and the right heart set to receive what God wants to hear. So I'm going to invite you to do that whether you're online, true or sanctuary here in the ark. Would you please just take a moment and just kind of, boy, it's hard to kind of clear the cobwebs, kind of get zeroed in. Ask God to speak to your heart this morning. And God, even as we ask you to speak here to us, we ask you especially to speak in El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio, into the lives of grieving, suffering people in the lives of churches where they're gathering for worship, trying to make sense again out of another just senseless to God, too senseless of people intentionally, willfully taking the act of others. And God, uh, I don't know we'll ever understand and comprehend how this sort of thing can happen. So we pray in the midst of all that suffering, and even God in this room, all the suffering and all the, the pain and different things that families and people are going through, that, that you will speak. And we will leave here encouraged and inspired because we have heard you speak and been in your presence. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, we are drawing near to the end of our study in Colossians and Paul is writing down his final words to this little church in Colossae. I, I would remind you that this book called Colossians, it is written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Colossae, and he's trying to remind them of something. He's telling hey, listen, guys, be, be careful. The culture is powerful. Uh, you're in this Roman culture, and it can be so complicated and easy. All of a sudden, you live more like the culture than it is to be a Christian. 
So I just kind of want you to be careful. Don't let that happen. Do not be transformed by the culture. I want you to be a transformer of the culture in which you live. And then he says very carefully, I want to make sure you understand that Jesus is Lord. Uh, not the emperor, not El Presidente, not, not your boss, not your spouse. Jesus is Lord, the highest authority in your life. And he just wants to speak guidance and truth into your life. And make sure you don't get off path here and buy into the concept about this political party or that belief or that that Jesus is Lord and you follow him. So we want to make sure they stay on track with what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. And so he's finally getting to the end of of this letter, some very practical teaching. And when he gets to the end, he comes down to his final words. Now, here's what we all know. We all know this. Because I think this is what's happening here. They're in this little church. Someone's reading the letter. And at this point, right here in chapter 4, everybody starts leaning in and listens a little more carefully. Because they can tell he's getting to the end. And here's what we know. When someone's about to speak some final words, those final words usually have a little weight and have a little bit more of an importance, right? So you're, you're, you're a team, you're about to go out for the big game, and the coach is going to speak the final words, and everybody kind of leans in. You know, okay, this is going to be important. This is really going to be matter. You're about to walk uh, your, your, your daughter down the aisle or send your son down the aisle, and they're about to cross over. That thing of being married, right? And boy, you're thinking, what are these last words I want to say? And, you're, and you really think about it because you know these words are going to stick and they're going to be important and have wait for a long time. We, we all have been, many have been in places where someone has been on hospice care, right? And uh, the whole family, you know that, that death is imminent. And everybody stays in the room and you don't leave because you have a sense. When they speak, you want to hear what they have to say because there's some sort of weight and importance probably is going to come out of their mouth at that Time. Now, here we are. This is the final words that are about to be said. And they're kind of leaning in. What's he going to say? I, I recall when Dallas and I got married. We've been married 40 years. Uh, but uh, three months into our marriage, we found ourselves in the middle of this tornado. I mean, literally a tornado in Wichita Falls. It was a E5. It was the biggest, most powerful thing that ever come through Wichita Falls. And we had just expressed our love for each other three months prior but now we find ourselves at 6 o'clock p.m. in the evening on April the 10th, 1979. The clock had stopped at 6.01, literally, just running into the closet. And it was 6 o'clock in the evening, and there were people out in the parking lot and everything. And so Dallas is in the closet, and she's trying as quickly as she can to get out of her nightgown into her clothes because she was 20 years of old and already going to bed. I'm going, what are you doing, woman? But so she, she's getting her clothes on because I'm pulling people into the closet from the street. And I, they were just out there running around like a chicken with their head chopped off, oh, panicking. I said, what are you doing? I'm trying to give people some shelter. So they come into our closet, and this, shelter, this closet's packed, and there's no light. It's pitch black. And, man, you could hear, you could sense the tornado was coming. There's this wake, this anticipation, and this fear that's building up. And people are praying and talking and conversing in the dark. And, and I'm telling Dallas, I love you, I love you, holding her close. We're at the very back of the closet, squeezed in behind the jackets. I mean, right there, amidst all this stuff in there. And, and I'm holding her, and I, I'm thinking, man, this might be my final words. I love you, I love you, I love you. We just, it's been three months. We've only been married three months. And I'm telling her all this, and it gets really quiet. And then you hear the boom, 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 the stuff hitting our condominium in which we live and then Dallas out of the blue says somebody just broke my tennis racket <laughs> now we survived the tornado 
And everybody in that closet did. And I got to thinking afterwards, if she would have died, the final words would have been, somebody just broke my tennis racket. <laughs> Not I love you. <laughs> Not oh honey, I miss you. I mean, and I'm thinking I would have had that forever, right? But the Apostle Paul here, he said, his final words. So everybody's listening. What's he going to say? And then he says it. Chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. I pray that I may pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. I'm going to stop right there. So I'm going, okay, Paul, so you're telling us these are your final words. This last little thing in this letter, these are the final words you want to say to everything else after is a P.S. We'll talk about this next week. But this is your final critical words, and you're telling me, you're just saying, pray. I'm going, Paul, Paul, couldn't you have been a little bit more inspirational? Couldn't you have said something? uh, That seems kind of anticlimactic. I mean, it's the church. We all know. Y'all just pray. But I want to take you a little bit deeper. Actually, you know, it's the very first thing I want you to write down. He says, devote, your, devote yourself to prayer. Write that down in your notes. Devote yourself to prayer. And that word devote in the Greek literally means this. Doing something continuously with intensity, even though it's difficult. Let me repeat that. That word devote in the Greek literally means to do something with intensity and do it continually, even though it's difficult. He's saying devote yourself, devote yourself to prayer. Now, you can't understand really the power of what he's saying here unless you know that when Paul writes this letter, he's in prison. You turn over to Acts, I'm not going there, but Acts chapter 28, we see he is put in prison. And to really understand, to really understand, I think, why Paul writes, devote yourself to prayer, you got to go backwards to what's happening before he writes the letter, before he is in prison. So I go back to the book of Acts. You don't have to turn there. We'll put this on the screen. But over in Acts chapter 2, here is what is going on. I want you to notice what God is doing, what is happening in the world, what God is doing in the church. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, we'll put it on the screen. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number on that day. Acts chapter 5, verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord, and they were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick and into the streets, laid them on their beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also uh, from the towns around Jerusalem. They brought their sick, those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace, and they were strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit The church increased in numbers, chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they grew daily in numbers. Paul would have known everything that's going on here in these churches. He would have known it all. 
Because Luke tells us, as you read the story of Luke in the book of Acts, that he was physically present, either persecuting Christians or the catalyst for the things that God was doing. So by the time you get over to Acts chapter 28, and Paul's put in prison, and he's writing these letters, he would, this, all this has been going on. He writes four letters while he's in prison. Three of those letters, the final words are all the same. Interesting. Instead of telling you, I'll just read it to you. He says over here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, he says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Philippians 4, chapter, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Here's what Paul says. Three out of the four letters. These are his final words. Pray. Pray all the time. Pray in seasons of springtime. When life is good and life is wonderful, you're setting goals and you're achieving goals. When you're soaring beyond goals, pray. Pray in the desert wilderness. Pray when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Pray when life is hard. Pray when you need encouragement. Pray when you need guidance. Pray when you need forgiveness. Pray when you need comfort. Before the game, during the game, and after the game, pray. Just pray. That's what he's saying. Be devoted continuously, even when it's difficult. Don't stop praying. But why, Paul? Why are you putting such an importance and emphasis on, Paul, on prayer and all these letters, these final words? And then he tells us, he gives us a hint. Back in Colossians chapter 4, that third verse, he says, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains and pray I may proclaim it as clearly as I should. And here's what Paul is saying, number two in your notes. There are some doors that will never open apart from prayer. There are some movements of God that will never take place apart from prayer. There are some people who will never darken the door of a church. There are some people who will never open this book called the Bible. There are some people who will never get out of a chair in a worship service and ever get to a point where they're serving other people. There will never be some folks who will never get into a small group to talk with people about real life, about things that matter, encourage each other, and open their soul and to really love and care for each other. There are some movements of God, the Scriptures say, that's never going to happen apart from prayer. It's just not going to happen. Creative branding, not going to do it. Cute little social media posts. People at the door just opening the door, smiling. Website, easy to navigate. He's saying there are some things. It's just not going to happen unless God's people are devoted to prayer. The early church was, 
really devoted to prayer. They were serious about it. They were passionate about it. I think I share with you in this series this summer that when Rome would go and take over an empire, they'd take over a country, they would impose their culture upon that, that country that they dominated. And part of the Roman culture was in every major town, they had something called the Forum. It's, it's much like in our small little towns right now. We have the courthouse in the center square. They would have a forum, and the forum would have these bells, and the bells would ring. So in every city, all these, and the bells would ring at 6 a.m. Hey, they did not have a phone to get them up in the morning. They did not have a smartphone. They had no Apple Watch. They had no little dingling reminders. Oh, you got to do this. Oh, but the bells would ring at 6 a.m. It's time to start your day. The bells would ring again at 9. Hey, it's mid-morning. The bells would ring again at noon. Hey, it's noon, time for lunch. It ring again at 3 and again at 6. It's the end of the day. And all the scholars and historians believe that those little Christian churches that were spread out all over the Roman Empire, they subverted the bells for their own use. And it was at 6 o'clock they began to pray. And at 9 o'clock they prayed. And at noon they prayed. And at 3 they prayed. And at 6 they prayed. And they use it as a reminder to devote themselves to prayer. Let me give you an example of this. If you turn back over into, uh, I'm going to go there. You don't need to turn. I know I'm working you kind of hard this morning. Over in Acts chapter 2. Let me give you an example of this, how how this works. In Acts chapter 2, it's the first miracle in the church. The very first miracle. And uh, chapter 3 Verse 1, it says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Three in the afternoon. Three o'clock. Interesting. Then it goes on to tell the story. There's this beggar there at the gate. And he begs, he's a lame guy. And he's, he's begging for them and say, listen, uh, well, could you give, us, give me something? They say, listen, silver and gold we don't have. But what we have we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And the scripture says the man started walking and jumping and singing and giving thanks to God. And the scripture goes on to say so many people saw this, they were amazed. And people were in awe of this movement of God and what God was doing. We all started because the people were praying at 3 in the afternoon. You look over here across the page in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 in your Bible is the story of Pentecost. That's the birth of the church. And it's an incredible story if you've never read it. I encourage you to do it in your chair time maybe this week. Just add that and just go read Acts chapter 2. And what happens is all of a sudden fire kind of seems symbolically. It seems like fire comes down from heaven and falls on people. And they start talking in languages that's not native to their own tongue. And everybody can understand them. It's amazing. It's incredible. And people saw this happening, and the Scripture says they were so unmoved. Somebody says, hey, uh, these guys are having a party, and uh, they, there must be alcohol involved. And, and Peter says, no, 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 look at verse 15. No, these people are not drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. What were they doing? They were praying. 120 people were locked up in a room at 9 o'clock in the morning. They'd been there for days just praying that heaven would unleash the power of God's grace and the power of God's love unleashing upon the world. And it came down in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're told on that very same day, we read this a while ago, verse 41, those who accepted the message of God's grace and God's love were baptized, and about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Why? 
Because there are some movements of God that will not happen unless God's people pray. I uh, had the privilege of being in the water with some of you when you're being baptized, when you're being immersed, or even when you're having pouring, and I have that privilege. And it is quite an honor to be the one, be the first one to look into someone's eyes right after they've been baptized. And they come up out of the water or they stand up after the water poured upon them and they look up and uh, I look into their eyes, I look into your eyes, and so often I, I wonder, what's the story? There's a story. There's always a story. Where's that person been? What's happened in their life? Where, where, what's been the journey that got them to here? And most of the time, I don't know the whole story. I just know bits and pieces, just little pieces. But I'll tell you what happens almost every single time after the baptisms. I'm standing around out in the crossing or in here, and I'm visiting with parents and family and grandparents and husbands and wives and just family members. And they come up and they say, oh, pastor. And they tell me a little story. Then they say, I've been praying for this day to happen for years. I've been praying for this day to come about, and now I am here, and I get to witness it. And it gets me to wondering, how many times has a mom or dad, the husband or wife, lay their head down on the pillow, and they wake up the next morning, and the first thing they do is their floor hits the knee, their knees hit the floor, and they just start praying for God to unleash his love and grace upon their children. That they would come to know how great is the love of God, his mercy and forgiveness for your kids. I wonder how often that a parent goes to bed or a grandparent, and they lay their head on their pillow. They don't even go to sleep. Because they're thinking about their child or their grandchild or, or someone in their family they love so dearly. And they're just, they're just praying, 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 praying for the love of God to be unleashed upon them. Or maybe families at Thanksgiving or Christmas, they get arm in arm, a whole family. Because someone in the family has gone so far, so far from the family, so far from the God. And the whole family just circles up and they just lift that person up because they love them so much. And they want them to know how much they love them, but how much more God loves them, and they pray, and they pray. I just wonder sometimes, how many prayers are offered before a heart is changed or a heart experiences the powerful love of God? And Paul is trying to say, listen, be devoted, be devoted, be devoted in prayer, because there's some movements of God that don't happen in marriages, that don't happen in relationships apart from prayer. Well, how do you do that, Paul? And then he gives a little clue. He gives two little insights, two quick little insights right there about how to pray. It's very interesting. He said, how do I do this? He says right there, first of all, at that same verse, verse 2, he said, be watchful. Now, be watchful is really not the best translation of that. If you look at it in the Greek, really it's saying, be wide awake. That's why I would ask you to pray wide awake. Here's what I was trying. I think, I think this is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, when you pray, don't be lethargic. Don't wake up in the morning and go, okay, God, thank you for the day, blah, 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 and go on. He, he's saying that when you pray, don't have, have your thoughts all disheveled to be wide awake, your mind wide awake, so you can be cognitively in tune to the Spirit of God when you speak and when you listen. And I think he's speaking something that Paul knows that happens to all of us. Probably happened to Paul. It happens here. It happens in this worship time. 
it happens your own line. You have an advantage, right? Or disadvantage, however you want to look at it. Is that someone's praying in worship, right? Someone's praying. Let's say I'm praying. Somebody else is praying. And you listen for a little while, and all of a sudden, squirrel, and your mind goes over here, right? And you check out. And you don't hear all the words that would get to amen. Okay, we're done. Amen. And you're, you're back in, right? But someone just prayed, and you were not cognitively aware and engaged, and you missed who knows what you missed, right? He's saying, don't do that. Be wide awake. Be engaged when it's prayer time. He's saying, wrote little prayers. Hey, we all probably grew up with, so many with wrote little prayers, right? A little bedtime prayer, a little mealtime prayer. You know that little kind of deal you kind of say? Uh, maybe a little morning chair time prayer. Some of you, even the Lord's Prayer. You just say it, you got it memorized. You say it, boom, it's done. I got said it. But nothing happened. In you. It was just words, wrote little words that came out of the mouth. You think, okay, I pray. He's saying, be wide awake. Be more alert. Be cognizant of what you're praying, what you're saying, what you're doing. And so there's this young adult. He asked me if I'd spend a few weeks with him. He, he was growing his relationship with Christ. He wanted to learn more about the Bible and about some praying. So I would meet him, and he said, can we meet off campus? And he was a little embarrassed about meeting with me. I said, sure. I said, let's meet at Starbucks. He said, no, let's do it at McDonald's. He liked to eat. And so we'd meet in the middle of the afternoon. He would multi-course meals there. I mean, he'd just pile up the food and drink after drink after drink after drink in the soda, in the, in the soda fountain. And I said, man, let's tell you what. Why don't, why don't I pray next week you pray before you eat? He said, Okay. And so then he got to his prayer. Here's what was his prayer, consistently every time. God, just nourished his food to my body. Just use his food to nourish my body, to nourish my body. And one time it just hit me. I said, listen, man, uh, you do know you're at McDonald's. <laughs> and you know what you're eating and drinking. You need to be praying that you don't get diabetes. <laughs> you know, I said, you need to be praying God does that. And uh, then we had this conversation about cognizant, that what the words that come out of your mouth make sense, right, with what you're doing and not just saying it, saying it just to say it. And I think what Paul's trying to tell us, he said, listen, just be cognizant, be cognizant of how you pray. Be awake. In fact, over here, Jesus helps us. I mean, gosh, it's Jesus, so you got to is receive his help. Over in Matthew chapter 26, uh, Jesus is praying. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's really feeling the weight. He's feeling it. I mean, he's feeling the weight. So much so, he's sweating drops of blood, and his soul is overwhelmed with trouble, it says. He just, he, he knows what's coming. He asks the disciples to pray. They go to sleep, and down here in verse 41 of chapter 26, he says, hey, disciples, watch and pray. That's the same word watch that's over in Colossians 4, 2. Watch and pray. So that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. He said, Hey, listen, I want you to know the spirit's willing, the spirit's available 24 7. You can go to God in prayer anytime you want to. The spirit's always awake, the spirit never goes to sleep. You can go as the Spirit is willing to give you encouragement, to give you compassion, to give you forgiveness. The Spirit's always willing, 24-7, always available. The Spirit is willing to fill your heart with compassion for people. You struggle with compassion. The Spirit is willing to give your mind visions and dreams for your life that will transform and change your life. The Spirit is willing that when you clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and goodness in the morning to make it stick so it's real and not fake, the Spirit is willing 
But you got to be awake. Be sensitive to the presence of the Spirit. And here's what I think he's saying. The Spirit of God never is asleep. The Spirit of God is always awake. And that means every single moment of your life, every ordinary moment can become an extraordinary moment when you're aware of the presence of the Spirit in that moment. When you get in your car and you go home today, be aware of the presence of God and how he might move. When you go to work tomorrow, be aware of the Spirit of God moving and touching and wanting to change people's lives and change your life. When you're in worship, he's saying, when you're in worship and you sense that God is moving in someone's life, just stop what you're doing and you don't know their name, just pray for that person. And when you're going throughout your day and a thought comes into your head that you know shouldn't be there and something comes out of your mouth before you can shove it back in, stop. Don't go any further. And be aware of the Spirit and come before a holy God to clean your mind, to clean your mouth and get you in a line to where you need to be in that relationship in that moment. And the Spirit of God will move and act. He's saying being devoted to prayer and always be on watch, be awake. I don't do this very well. I'll just confess to you. Uh, my challenge, my challenge is not starting my day off with God. My challenge is spending the whole day with God. Anybody else have that problem? I mean, the whole, I'm mad, that's my challenge, spending the whole day with God. Uh, uh, being aware of God's presence all the time, being in tune with what God wants to do in my life and around me. Uh, not this week, but the week before. I'm pulled up to the gym. And just so happened on this day, I had my Bible with me in my car, and I was reading this particular verse, trying to get ahead a little bit, prepared for this series. And I'm reading this passage about being watchful and, and being alert and everything. And I'm thinking, you know what, God, I really don't want to do that. I just want to go into the gym, put in my earbuds, and I don't want to talk to a person. I'm peopled out. Anybody ever been peopled out? I've had all the people I can take today. I just, none. I don't want any more. I just want to go in there and have my little workout and everyone leave me alone. And so, that was my mindset. And But I've been reading this passage here. And so I get out of the car and I did something I've, I've never have done before. I grab my gym bag and I'm walking in the gym and it's about 6.15. I'm getting me a quick little workout in. And when I get in, I notice I have my Bible in my hand. And I've never done that before. I always just leave it in the car. But sometimes I'll read a verse before I go into workout, so it's working in my head while I'm doing different things. And I thought, I'm too lazy to go back to my car. <laughs> so I just took it in with me. So I walk into the gym, I have my Bible, I put my gym back down, I pull down the rolling machine, I'm going to sit on the roller for a few minutes and just kind of warm up, and I just take my Bible and lay it down on the ground right there by my gym bag. Think nothing of it. So I'm rolling, kind of warm, this guy walks up. And he, I can sense him there. And he says, uh, what's that? And I said, it's my Bible. He said, what are you going to do with it? I thought, it's a good question. I'm in the gym. <laughs> you know, well, I said, I I'm going to read it. Okay. And he says, uh, he says, I used to believe everything in that book. I said, tell me more about that. I'm rolling. Just very slowly listening. And he says, uh, my father's a pastor. I went to seminary myself for a while. And then some stuff happened in my life, and it was so dark and so painful. 
I began to question the existence of God. I began to question, was God real? And could God really be for me and be calling me? And I really was struggling with my faith. And so I went to my dad, and I told him, I said, Dad, and he told him what was going on. My dad said, don't tell anybody that, because it won't look good in the church for you or for me. I could see on his face, he just cut him, and he said, I just left. I stopped rowing. I said, listen, I just want to make sure you know, I think it's perfectly okay to have doubts and wrestle with your faith. I think God's not going to just, just, Thomas had lots of faith, lots of doubt issues. So I don't think that's true. And secondly, I said, I just want you to know how God feels about you. And I quoted Romans 8, 38, where God says, nothing can separate you from the love of God, nothing not principalities or powers, not demons, not death. Not, nothing can separate from the love of God. And I just said, I want you to know that God loves you. I mean, just God does. And he just paused and a little, his eyes got kind of red. And he said, that's the last verse I ever taught in my small group before I walked out of the church. He said, I just wonder if this moment is strictly for me to hear and be reminded that God's not quit on me and God still loves me. Now, I did not get to the gym this past week. Uh, it just didn't, wasn't possible. So I'm not seen or could, I, I don't have the stories going to end. All, but all I know is I just, in that moment, was so thankful that I wasn't totally asleep to God's presence and what he was asking to be done around me. And it got me to thinking, how many times have I been so asleep that I missed the moments where God wanted to work and move, and I was so into me, 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 that I missed the moment. And I started wondering what would happen if hundreds of people who call Pathway Home, watching online, true worth in the sanctuary, all the people who worship here, if you got up tomorrow morning and you were so aware of God's presence that everywhere you went, you were aware that God was working. How different would your workplace be? How different would your home be? How different would your marriage be? How different would your family atmosphere be? How different would your gym be? How different would the world be? How different would Dayton be? And El Paso be? And our world be? And all of us? Be wide awake. Be ready. And then he ends it. Be thankful. When you pray, be thankful. Now, this is the fifth time. This is the fifth time <laughs> in three chapters in two verses. Three chapters. The fifth time he said, hey, guys, be thankful. Overflow with thankfulness back there in chapter 2, he says. Overflow. So I'm thinking he's pretty serious about this. Now, this past week, uh, uh, in our family, uh, it's, it's been a hard week. And I have struggled in my own life with finding ways to be thankful. And in my morning chair time, I was reading, I don't know how this happened, but just the Spirit of God in the book of Revelation. I was reading Revelation chapter 1, and we'll put this on the screen, but in Revelation chapter 1, uh, the church is uh, being persecuted. Nero and Domitian 
are killing Christians. Some are being crucified. Some are having holes drilled in their hands, some in their head, molten lava, molten lead, melted, poured into their wounds, even into their eyes. Just imagine the suffering and pain of that, that sort of death, that sort of thing. And so John is kind of recording about this vision that he has about all this is going on and the suffering. And it says in verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, chapter 1. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstand was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. Now the seven golden lampstands, those represent the seven churches where there was just widespread cruelty and painful suffering among those churches and among those families. And then he has this vision of the Son of Man, which is Jesus, who's just walking. He has a vision of Jesus very slowly walking among all the suffering and all the hurt of all these people, and he's just moving among all of it. That's the vision. There's two things. I said this on Thursday. I want to say it again right here. There are two promises in this book that are consistent and prolific in this book called the Bible. It's not, it's not you're forgiven, though you are. And it's not you're going to heaven, though you are. Those are not the two most prolific promises. Here are the two. Here's the first one. God loves you. Period. And there's nothing, nothing you can do to stop it. And here's the second one. I'll never leave you. There'll never be a circumstance you find yourself in your life where I will leave you. And what's amazing here is in this story, is these family members have loved ones that are dying right in their arms and they're being yanked out of their arms and there's all these things and they're, they're offering prayers of thanksgiving to God. These people are dying with courage and dying with grace and dying with this amazing poise. And people are going, ho, 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 how can you do that with so much suffering? And here's really the answer. Because they had a confidence that God would not leave them or forsake them. And here's what I've learned over the years, that people who can give thanks to God in all circumstances, regardless of what it is, have discovered and learned the truth that God will never leave you or forsake you and abandon you. He is always with you. And when you know that, you can be thankful. Even when it's hell. I wasn't here last weekend at 1025. And uh, because last weekend, an extended member of our family, my son's wife's brother, brother-in-law, Clinton Tebbs, 32-year-old young man, all of his life ahead of him. Surprisingly, shock tragedy. He went to be with the Lord, and uh, I will tell you, 
It's been hard. It's been really hard for a lot of people. And I know I'm only here up here this morning. And our family has made it through today to the day because of your prayers. I've received texts and emails from people, hey, this pastor, I'm praying for you. In fact, last weekend when I didn't show up at 1025, a lady just said, when I heard your recording, I just stopped and just started praying the whole time. I don't even know what the message was. I'm going to go back and listen to it because I was just praying the whole time for you. And I was at the lake with our family. I just want to say thank you. Because sometimes when you can't pray, other people pray for you. And a movement of God can happen regardless when God's people are devoted to prayer. And my prayer is that Clinton and his life and his death will have impact for years to come on the lives of many. That will be my prayer. I'm going to trust it's going to happen. I just want to encourage you to kind of get to a quiet place. Is there anything that you need to say to God right now? Now, you can say anything to God. God can handle it. I want you to know there's nothing you can't say to God that God can't handle because he knows your mind, your heart, and he loves you. Maybe it's help. Maybe it's hold me. Maybe there's somebody in your family that you just want to speak their name. You just want to lift their name up to God. A son, a daughter, a relative, someone in your family tree, just someone that you just, they're hurting, they're broken. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're just so far away from God and the faith. You just want to pray that the arsenal of heaven's love will just Maybe there's someone in worship this morning. You walked in and you saw someone. You could tell by their facial expression. There's something on their mind. You don't know their name. Maybe you were in worship and you saw someone so dialed in or maybe a tear and you don't even know their name, but you're going to stop right now and you're just going to lift that person, that, that person up to God. Maybe it's a neighbor. You drive down the street and wave to them every day. You don't have a clue what's going on in their life. You just kind of nod, yeah, but you've never stopped to hear their story. And maybe God is compelling you this week to stop. Just listen. Hear their story.
God, there's so much suffering in the world. There's so many stories, so many people hurting, so many people struggling. Not just in El Paso and Dayton, Lord. I mean, just right here in this room, all over in there. We just pray, God, for this great movement of grace and this great movement of love and that will just sweep us. You will change us. You will make us family. And use us. Use us. Use us. Use us. To bring healing. In Jesus' name.